0: Are all of Britain's public services corrupt? Find out soon from this week's special guest, the NHS whistleblower, Tom Bell. He's the host of Tom's 5-Minute Friday podcast. I'm Graham Mack. Welcome to the Pod 20, the countdown of the most popular podcasts in the world right now. It's heard on podcast radio on DAB in the UK, on demand in the USA at talkers.com, and around the world on multiple platforms and as a podcast itself. Into the chart now, and at number 20, Alan Carr's Life's a Beach. Alan invites famous guests to talk about their favourite places in the world. His latest guest is the comedian Dara O'Breen. 19. Distractable Thoughtful discussion about funny, out-there, or otherwise interesting stories from everyday life. 18. The Jordan Harbinger Show In-depth conversations with people at the top of their game. His latest guest is Yuri Matsarsky. The Ukrainian journalist turned civilian fighter against the Russian invasion of Ukraine. 17. The Reset Rebel It's hosted by Joe Yule, who's on the island of Ibiza a place which is notorious for attracting rebels. And you talk to them, Joe. You're involved in another Ibiza podcast. Tell me about that.
1: The Gang of Witches Abitha podcast. It's not mine. It's the, the Gang of Witches. Yeah, I work together with them telling the stories of ecology and, um, you know, climate change. And we talk about, you know, things like this um, because I think it's really important to also talk about the issues that affect the island from you know, the preservation perspective and and what that means when there is this massive influx in the summer and the pressure on all the ecosystems and the boats and, you know, the Posidonia and all the wonderful things that exist in the sea that keep it healthy, that allow it to become a natural carbon sink to suck up all of the, um, the carbon emissions that are created by the gazillions of planes. I think, yeah the guys that uh, come to trim the, the giant branches.
0: It sounded from here, like it sounded like a plane. And I thought, how cosmic is that? You're talking about planes polluting and we can hear a plane, but no, it's yeah. not it's not quiet. it's <laughs> worse than that, it's a leaf blower or something. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, but yeah, I think there's a very, there's a very yin and yang side to the island. It's either on or it's off, it's sleeping or it's awake. It's, it's full or it's empty. There's just no, it's an extreme, it's an island of extremists. Um, and if you like to, you know, go into the spirituality of it, people call it a Scorpio island. And I'm a Scorpio. My boyfriend's a Scorpio. I know a loads of Scorpios that live there. And it, it it does attract a certain kind of person who, you know, is a little bit like that. You know, there's a lot of roller coasterism that lives there because of this. You know, so someone what's we a, need what's to- a
0: Scorpio then? I don't know. Um, I don't bother much with star signs. <laughs> um, so so what's what a? How what, uh, describe a Scorpio?
1: Poof. <laughs> An extremist, yeah, definitely. Right. I
0: very see. Very
1: jealous and excessive and <laughs> passionate and wild and, um, yeah, just enjoying pleasures in life, I would say, definitely. Um, but yeah, I, I think they're a very unique, yeah, unique star sign that, um, if you put a lot of them together, some, some crazy things happen.
0: <laughs> and, Since you haven't had that influx for the last couple of years, how has that changed the island then and and particularly like the economy of the island? I mean, is it in trouble?
1: Um, I did a news piece for Deutsche Welle actually uh, last summer about the Ibiza Food Bank, which is a, a, a place where, you know, people donate money and then these amazing people rally around and get all this food together and they take it and they deliver it to people in need. And they said they've never, you know, these lines were going on for as, long, as far as the eye could see, you know, people there—not just from um, the DJ and the nightlife scene and the entertainment industry and the hotels and bars—it was—it was a lot of like, you know, a lot of people from all areas that were affected by that. Because, yeah, there's just a lot of reliance on tourism there. It's—it's—it's it's, it's a monoculture that is very, very reliant on the influx of of that money that those people bring each summer. And, you know, I think. A seriously long, hard look needs to be taken at that. You know, it's all very well to go back to the old model of tourism and and the the nightlife industry. And I have absolutely no problem with that. You know, even though I've set up the podcast looking at the other side of the island, it's just for me, it's about creating balance. And balance is not something that exists in Ibiza, not just in the people. But, you know, Mm. that economical system has got to change because it's not sustainable. It's not a sustainable way of living for the people that are there or the people that are visiting. You know, one disgusting example would be that the the sewage system doesn't cope. And there's a couple of beaches where in the summer you just cannot go there. Um, and some tourists don't even know that, you know, and you've got their little kids swimming there and you, yeah, it's really- It's, it's a terrible good.
0: joke, but is it fair to say that people continue to swim undeterred? <laughs> 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 I, t- I told you it was a terrible
1: joke. I quite liked it.
0: (laughs) 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 The Reset Rebel, hosted by Joe Yule, is at number 17 this week on the Pod 20. 16, The Bible in a Year with Father Mike Schmitz. Father Schmitz walks you through the entire Bible in 365 episodes. It's one of the greatest works of horror fiction ever written and features stories of torture, slavery and abuse. It's full of sex, violence, dangerous political statements and an evil god who turns a bloke's wife into salt, tells people to kill gays and drowns innocent men, women and children. This is definitely adults-only material. 15. On Purpose with Jay Shetty Fascinating conversations with the most insightful people in the world. 14. No Such Thing as a Fish The award-winning podcast from the QI offices. The latest episode is live from Belfast. Dan, James, Anna and Andrew discuss email, Y-fronts and MRI scanners. 13. Sips, Suds and Smokes. Everything good in life is worth discussing. Wine, tea, coffee, whiskey, beer, cigars, barbecue, people whose first names begin with a Q, ex-Amish, the state of Alabama, roadkill and Canadians. 12. Five Minute News. This one's hosted by Anthony Davis, who's from London, but he hosts the podcast from his home in Los Angeles. Anthony, what do Americans think of Boris Johnson?
2: I don't think they think about him very much. I mean obviously he's on the TV every day in, in England, but I just I just feel like Boris is a bit of a joke character, you know, like a comedy character. They can't take him seriously. You know, people are very groomed on American television. Have you noticed that? I mean, I, I when I watch the news here and any interviews, people are very well groomed. They have beautiful teeth and they're very... Yeah. And then, you know, you switch back to British TV and <laughs> newscasters, they're not making much effort. They haven't had their teeth straightened or whitened. They're, you know, they're, they're, they wear whatever is the first thing they reach for at four o'clock in the morning off the clothes rack. It's... And Boris is like an extension of that. You know, He, in terms of like brand Britain, it's very like Austin Powers, you know?
0: Austin Powers meets Benny Hill, isn't it? Really?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I like that side because I love the eccentricity of the British and I love the fact that we don't care how bad our teeth are. You and I have nice <laughs> teeth, so it's not an issue. But I mean, it's... And the fact that he keeps like making children is just adds credence to the fact that it's like, But he won't tell us
0: how many he's got. That's still a mystery. somewhere between 20 and 30. (laughs) And what shape is the special relationship in then? Because it's been under a little bit of pressure, especially after the Afghanistan um, debacle, hasn't it?
2: Well, there isn't a special relationship. There never has been. I mean, this is the thing. It's like that phrase was invented by Churchill and it was mentioned, I think, in a radio broadcast and then it was repeated by Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan. When Because they, they were very close, as you know. She loved all his movies. And it hasn't really reared its head in America since. It's, it's a British thing. It's something that we in England hold on to, this special relationship. And it has, doesn't mean anything. It doesn't, it's not a phrase they use here. It's something right. we are hanging on to. And it's the reason why Brexit happened with no trade deals in place. Because they're like, don't worry, America will see us good. Because we've got a special <laughs> relationship. And it's like, no, you haven't. Especially with Biden. He's furious about Ireland because, of course, he's from Ballina, this little, uh, you know, Southern Irish town. And he's furious about the fact that they didn't do the kind of uh, a proper deal and the island's going to be left behind. And so he doesn't want to do a deal with Boris because he thinks Boris is Brexit. He actually probably thinks Boris's first name is Brexit Johnson. So he's not yeah. prepared to do any... Any, uh, give any special treatment like Trump was going to, so that's a disaster.
0: Comb him, comb his hair, yeah.
2: Well, he tousles his hair before an interview, (laughs) so it's probably combed all the time that he's not on television,
0: (laughs) yeah. Well,
2: so I mean, I tweeted this morning a prediction, and I've never been wrong. (laughs) But Rishi Sunak is going to become the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, the next Conservative (laughs) Prime Minister. That's what's going to happen.
0: He's got, you think he's got the gravitas for the big no. job?
2: No, I didn't say okay. any of that. I just said okay. it's a, I just said <laughs> that he's going to become the next prime minister.
0: He was kind of skirting around the issue of, of tax rises. And it made me wonder, like, we've had nearly two years of the economy barely getting by because of the, the pandemic. Who are you kidding that we're not going to get tax rises? We've got to pay for this thing now. It's going to take years. And it just seemed interesting that he wouldn't wouldn't just go, look, we're going to have to pay for this. I I can't see why politicians always try to sit on the fence and hedge their bets and all the rest of it. They seem to like, they must think that we don't understand. I don't know. Because we don't. We we know that there's no money.
2: (laughs) We we don't understand. I, I, I think that's what it is. There's, there's this apathy.
0: Nobody wants a tax rise, but there's got to come. We have to pay more tax to pay for this. We have to. There's no choice. It's like after the Second World War. We had to pay for that. And that's why you had, you know, massive austerity. And, you know, the 50s in America were a boom time. But in Britain, from what I've heard, you know, there was still rationing for a lot of it. Well, you know, you it was need, pretty, the thing pretty is, dire. You,
2: you only need to tax the rich. Anybody who is. Earning less than, you know, 30, 40, 50,000 pounds a year shouldn't be paying any tax at all. There's enough tax up the other end. I mean, Biden's huge infrastructure deal, which is not going to go through, by the way, it's just like, it's just not going to happen. But he's not going to tax anybody who earns less than $450,000 a year. So all the people that are complaining they don't want a tax rise, it's not going to affect them. People are so partisan, you know, they're just here, especially, they're just so, they're like, even if Trump came out and made a really positive announcements, you'd still have Democrats moaning. And and the the right celebrating. It's like it's just like football teams. It's really it's it's so yeah. ingrained. And I feel like people have always been light on detail in these conversations. Very keen to start celebrating or criticizing. Or demonstrating, but in terms of detail, like, what are we talking about here? Have you read the policy? Have you read the paper? Have you written to your MP? No? No. No. But I'm furious.
0: <laughs> Five-minute News presented by Anthony Davis is at number 12 this week, on the Pod 20. 11: Free Economics Radio: Discover the Hidden Side of Everything with Stephen J. Dubner, co-author of The Free Economics Books. 10. Hidden Brain. Vedantam uses science and storytelling to reveal the unconscious patterns that drive human behaviour. 9. Shagged, Married, Annoyed. The only way Rosie and Chris Ramsey can have a conversation without being interrupted by a toddler or ending up staring at their phones is by doing a podcast. 8. Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. After 25 years at the late-night desk... Conan has never made a real and lasting friendship with any of his celebrity guests, so he started a podcast to fix that. 7. Death by Conspiracy? From BBC Radio 4. An investigation into how one man was drawn into online conspiracies and how they led to his own death. 6. Tom's 5-Minute Friday Podcast. It's hosted by Tom Bell... Tom, you became a whistleblower while you worked at the NHS. Before that, your sister Alison was sexually abused by a male nurse while she was a patient at a mental health hospital. The NHS covered it up and arranged a secret abortion. This all led to Alison committing suicide. Then you found evidence of a cover-up by police and the Crown Prosecution Service. We've heard a lot about NHS cover-ups. And police cover-ups, too. The biggest one, probably South Yorkshire Police and their cover-up of the Hillsborough disaster. Are all British public services corrupt?
3: Yeah, they're all, they're all failing us in this respect. And um, when they do what they do well, it's great. They just don't have the capacity or the flexibility to admit when there's a mistake. It's, it's like never admit you've done something wrong and then the so i call it i call it the cock up to conspiracy continuum yeah which is probably Mm. very unfortunate in 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 for me to use that but what happens is so let's take the case of um let's take hillsborough for a good example yeah people are told to adjust their record books and their logs of what happened yeah change evidence (laughs) change statements change statements change evidence yeah nobody resists right Because you're looking around you, right? And if you're in a room of 20 people that are all being told to do that, who's going to blink first? Who's going to put their hands up and say, Governor, I'm not doing that? Because that's your family around you, isn't it? Hmm. And this is the problem with the public sector. It, It treats its people like a family and not a team, right? So in the private sector, if you're underperforming or you are duplicitous or you're causing harm, You're kind of, you're identified, you're assessed for training needs, and then if you're not fit for purpose on that team, you're on the transfer list. You're off the bus, yeah? Mm. And it treats you more like a member of a team because in the private sector, you've got to perform like a team. In the public sector, what happens is you get treated like a family. It's a bit like where, you know, you sit around the family dinner table and there's certain things you don't talk about, you know, we never talk about Uncle Frank's flashing down the park, you know, or Auntie veras alcoholism, yeah? Because those are just taboo. We don't talk about those things, yeah? And what we need from the public sector is to start to behave much more like a team and a lot less like a family. Because you're right, it, it would be wrong to say that everybody in the public sector is bad. But what would be right to say is that they are all susceptible to the same forces. And sometimes, you know, they just have to turn a blind eye because they're absolutely powerless. I mean, I'm not condoning what those police officers did. But put yourself in their shoes. 20 people, for example, hypothetical situation, stood in a room being told to alter their record books because, you know, Chief Constable wants it and this is the way it's going to be and we've got to protect the reputation of this police force and it's for the greater good and blah, blah, all that stuff you get told, you know, all the standard mantras trotted it out. It's going to be a brave person that says, I'm not doing that.
0: How else? Because they do end up, in the case of the Hillsborough situation, they ended up investigating themselves. I think it was at the West Midlands Police investigated them and found nothing to see here when, you know, oh, further right. down the line, we, we knew there was a lot more to it and there had been a cover-up yeah. and, a, and a conspiracy. So what, with with the NHS and the police and other big organisations, what can be done? Should there be a, a separate board that oversees them that's got nothing to do with the organisation and no, well, no I, dog in the fight?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I would personally like to see community control for a lot of our services. Now, people kind of chuckle at me when I say that because they say, oh, I mean, let me give an example. I'd like to see more con- community control over our health services, yeah? So, because if we're prepared... And what does that like, mean? 12, What's that look like, community control okay, of the health so, service? So let's 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 look at how a jury works, yeah? Yeah. So I've done jury service once, right? Roped in off the street, lit- you know, literally. 12 people, citizens, you know, good and true and all the rest of that stuff. And we become the ultimate decision makers about a really important decision involving people's lives. Yeah, So we are trusted with the dispensing of justice and I'm not great on the. I love some of the philosopher's statements. I'm not great on them. I can't remember these from memory, Graham, but you know, all the great philosophers, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, they all talked in there about the importance of justice. Justice was a prerequisite for everything. Martin Luther King said, without justice, there can be no peace. So justice is the cornerstone of our societies and the perception of justice is the cornerstone of our societies. So if communities and lay people can be trusted with that kind of responsibility for jury service, why can't we be trusted actually to govern police services, health services, adult social care services? Um, That whole reputation management piece just needs to be consigned to the dustbin of history. There should be no room for public relations Within any of our public sector organizations, we don't want public relations departments. We want information. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. you can't, when we talked earlier about changing people's behavior, we're talking about a generation's work here. This, this is not going to change overnight because yeah. what you've got is a lot of people at the top of the tree now who made their way to the top of the tree by emulating the behavior of the people who reached the top of the tree before them.
0: And yeah. they did the same
3: for the people before them. Yeah. It's modelling, so isn't it? They, That's how you
0: get on—is you model successful people, and yeah,
3: absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I, I saw you do this. I'm doing, so I'm going to do the same. If they pay attention to that, then I'm going to pay attention to that. So rather than having these top-down imposed targets and measures, which frankly mean nothing to you or I, right? Have you, for example, have you ever come out of your GP surgery, or has your wife ever come out of a GP surgery and say, "Oh, Graham, that was a seamless integrated care experience"? <laughs> Yeah. you know <laughs> they either yeah. dealt with you effectively or they didn't yeah yeah. And, yeah and so all this the measures that they measured on mean nothing to you and i why can't we define the value that we want to get from these services yeah all right so the, i think the police service failed me the hillsborough families know that the police service failed them yeah so they in other words they defined the value they said no nah, you failed us and then the police kept going nothing to see here nothing to see here yeah yeah, and, and you had exactly
0: that with Alison because they, you, in fact, you were doing a lot of the investigation, and you were, you were finding evidence in the book. You talk about when a policeman came round to your house, and yeah. uh, and and you completely stumped him because you had the goods, and they they didn't or said they didn't.
3: Well, <laughs> yeah, they 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 bullshitted me completely. So these two guys come round. So this is we're going back 2015 now. Yeah, and um, I'm trying to get them to reopen the investigation, yeah? Because my experiences in the NHS, they have started to get me thinking that the way Alison was dealt with was not upfront, yeah? And we were too naive to even know it, right? Because you don't know what you don't know, do you? You just expect these public services to be staffed by good people with good intent who will treat you honorably and with integrity. And actually what you find is that that's not the case because they're not rewarded for dealing with you with integrity. So you're absolutely right. It's exactly what we found out. And these two coppers came around the house and I said uh, you know I'm thinking about trying to get you guys to reopen this investigation and I just wanted to have a conversation with you about it and blah 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 I should have realized by the way when they sent two fairly senior coppers round that there was a rabbit off you. Yeah?
0: yeah and
3: this guy sits there and he says that, you know he's, he, he's done all the empathy training Graham. so you know he's, he's done the courses and you know he's, he's looking at me you know he's looking at me in the eyes and he's going you know Tom th- there's nothing to be gained from reopening this investigation you know it it was a good quality investigation and I can personally vouch for the quality of the officers that undertook it. I I said to him, I said, well, okay, that's fine. I said, "Um, can we have a look at some of the evidence that you have within the file that you've got? And he said, well, I can't show you that because of data protection, right? So I I had it ready, I I had my my scheme ready. I said, let's play evidence top trumps. I said, I've got a file of evidence here that I've kept. I know that you can't show me what's in there because of data protection. So I'm gonna pull out a file And if you've got a match in one, you say, right? 30 pieces of evidence later, he hasn't got a single match in one. Everything that I gave them back in 2000, when we first found out what had happened had been lost, mislaid as they called it. Right. And this was like evidence of the forced abortion and all, like really serious, hard stuff, stuff. serious stuff, medical notes, copies of the pregnancy termination certificate and at this point, so I said to him, I said, okay, right. So a few minutes ago you told me this was a good quality investigation. What do you think now? And he, he looks awkwardly at his mate as if to go, we've just been rumbled. And then um, I said, I'm going to look into this as a matter of urgency. Again, looks me in the eyes, I'm gonna look at Great, okay. So four months pass. I've been sending him an email every month saying, what's happening next? Four months pass, and I get a reply. No further action will be taken, and if you make a complaint about the way the investigation was dealt with in two thousand and one, we have the right to dismiss it because it's longer than twelve months ago. So they call it disapplying. It's a really polite way of saying get stuffed. Yeah. They yeah can and all we have to it. do is, is,
0: is run the clock down, and we're off. We're out.
3: We're out. Yeah. They can they can disapply your complaint. Yeah unless you have compelling evidence to the contrary. Well, thankfully those 30 documents that I had, that was pretty much what I needed. So I just, I I remember driving to police headquarters one day with that stuff and I filmed myself delivering it to them, to the reception desk, yeah, and putting it on the table and I filmed the receptionist and I filmed the date, you know, all the classic stuff with the newspaper and that, you know, to say when I'd done it. And I said, right, there's everything. Now, are you still going to disapply my complaint? at which point they begrudgingly acknowledged that there might be something they should look at.
0: And this is all because of this reputation management stuff,
3: all because of Now, they would say, it's a time issue, Tom. We're we're struggling for time. So, therefore, we couldn't commit resources to dealing with your issues because, yeah? And, okay, you kind of get that. But if the police commissioner at the same time is publishing a strategy that says they will take reports of historical sex crimes seriously, yeah, then... That's just words, isn't it? Because if what they're doing is saying, we'll disapply your complaint because it's older than 12 months. And then, and then, so you, you ask them to join these dots. You say, hang on, the police commissioner's strategy says this. You're mm. saying that. What's the crack here? Mm. And of course, those kind of emails and those questions, they never get answered because they're the awkward questions. Yeah. Mm. And they don't have to answer that stuff. So eventually they, they said, right, okay, we will launch an internal inquiry into the quality of the first investigation. So they'll mark their own homework? Absolutely, right? Now, here's what now, I, I've got to tell you. At this point, I was thinking, you're marking your own homework, guys. History is going to repeat itself. You're going to say nothing to see here and you're going to fob me off. Do you know what? That internal report, they couldn't dress it up. It was so bad. Really? The things The things it revealed were so... They hadn't even filed an investigation report or logged it. They hadn't spoken to the last person to see Alison alive. They hadn't spoken to her friends and relatives, yeah, details of whom had all been given to her. They hadn't sought her medical records from any of the three NHS sources that we gave them. They hadn't spoken to British Transport Police who were there obviously in the aftermath of the incident at Rotherham railway station. And they hadn't even spoken to the coroner's court who had all the original records from the first inquest. So they were forced begrudgingly, their position changed from a good quality investigation undertaken by two sound police officers to front page of the Guardian online having to apologize for an inadequate what did they call it um they didn't they didn't they never use the word failure do they it was like you know it was a something there was a yeah there's a
0: there's you know, speak, isn't there yeah
3: absolute doublespeak yeah you know yeah and you just look at that and you think you absolute bastards when you came round and you sat in my house and you told me that it was a good investigation you already knew that it wasn't mm. because if you'd seen that case file and looked at it before coming to my house you already knew that nobody had been spoken to that you hadn't even logged an investigation report in fact you only came round to my house to clear your desk and fob me off and do you know what graham i still get angry about that i still think yeah. you absolute bunch of tosses what what were you doing how how does somebody sit in your own home and look you in the eye and lie to you like that hmm. and i think that's where the line starts to get blurred between people protecting reputation and actually behaving fairly explicitly and personally dishonestly so you know did that guy really need to come here and lie to me i don't i don't think so i, I think i deserve better i've been a tax paying citizen since 1066 you know i deserve better than that Tom's
0: 5-Minute Friday podcast, number 6 this week on the Pod 20. Into the top 5 now, and at number 5, My Favourite Murder with Karen Gillgariff and Georgia Hardstark. Karen and Georgia tell each other their favourite tales of murder and hear crime stories from friends and fans. 4. Ukraine Cast from BBC Radio. The latest episode features President Zelensky's plea to Congress. 3. Stuff You Should Know. If you've ever wanted to know about champagne, Satanism, the Stonewall Uprising, Chaos Theory, LSD, El Nino, True Crime and Rosa Parks, then look no further. Josh and Chuck have you covered. 2. Crime Junkie If you can never get enough true crime, congratulations, you found your people. And at number 1... The rest is politics. Former Downing Street Director of Communications Alistair Campbell and Cabinet Minister Rory Stewart join forces from across the political divide. And that's it for episode 99. So good they named an ice cream after it. Thanks to this week's guests, Joe Yule, Anthony Davis and Tom Bell. Next week, my guest is Gary Hayes from Highway 61 Podcast. In the meantime you can watch extended video chats with my guests on YouTube and subscribe to my YouTube channel. What will happen on the podcast radio chart next week? Will your favourite make it to number one? Find out with me, Graham Mack, on Fridays at 5pm and across the weekend on podcast radio. And don't forget you can influence the pod 20. Make a recommendation at thepodcastradio.co.uk.